people are going to be the ones that help you toe the line and make the change. And if you can't convince the people that making this journey is important and good, not only for the organization, but also good for them, you know, you're going to have detractors. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Cloud, referred to by some as just someone else's data center. But cloud is much more than someone else's data center. It is an entirely different way of thinking about technology. Let me rephrase that. It is an entirely different way of delivering business value, leveraging technology. Our guest today on Status Go is Dustin Milberg. Dustin is the field CTO of cloud services for InterVision, one of our very own. We're going to be talking with Dustin over a series of episodes about cloud and how to best ensure your cloud strategy delivers the value you expect. Welcome to Status Go, Dustin. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, boy, listening to you talk about the cloud, I got to get me some of that. That sounds exciting. <laughs> well, it, it is exciting, as you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, before we dive in and talk about the journey to the cloud, let's talk about your journey to the cloud. Tell us a bit about yourself and what led you to the role that you are in today. Yeah, great question. I think like uh, the cloud is a little bit like Denny's. You don't intend on going there. You sort of end up there because <laughs> your other options get uh, get chafed, right? So I think that in a lot of ways, um, you know, cloud just became so omnipresent and it became such a great delivery vehicle for what we were trying to do in my role of uh, running engineering organizations that I couldn't ignore it anymore. And it just, it, I realized that it made no sense for me to be leveraging a CapEx model of capacity to run at about 20%, maybe 90% of the time. And, you know, it's just, you do the math on that, that's a going out of business plan. And so we realized we had to change the way that we were consuming, which also meant we had to change the way that we were developing. And so a holistic approach was uh, engineered by my organization, and we looked at the opportunities to consume cloud to help drive value into uh, into our business, into our customers, and to the way that we fundamentally d developed and delivered products. And so I did that at uh, a software company here in Portland, Oregon, uh, where we delivered education software. And you can imagine uh, delivering online assessments to kids in K through 12 all over the planet um, trying to do that out of a data center in Portland, Oregon, uh, introduced all sorts of challenges, right? From yeah. a latency perspective, distance. So we really started to harness the power of AWS to optimize our delivery. We started with endpoint delivery and then over time, slowly and effectively made uh, the migration of our workloads into the cloud. From there, I went to a, another software company here in Portland, Oregon, and uh, had a legacy application that needed to be rewritten because it was non-performant. And we started with a cloud-native design and approach, uh, complete replatforming and redesign of the application, 100% in AWS, consuming all cloud-native services. So really exciting work. And then from there, I spent about, uh, I've spent the last three years 
on the consulting side and, and on the advisory side, helping organizations solve these very similar types of problems. And uh, I can tell you that no two organizations have all of the same problems, but each one is trying to ultimately reach the same destination, which is developing high value, uh, high quality, highly performant solutions to their end users. And uh, as you mentioned, the cloud is instrumental in that. Well, and you mentioned destination, right? And that kind of brings us to the point of part of our conversation here today is you wrote a post on LinkedIn a couple of years ago, uh, and it was titled, The Journey to the Cloud is More Important Than the Arrival. So I'd love to start our discussion there. What did you mean, the journey is more important than the arrival? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, that, that question comes up a lot, and I get that a lot from people. They get asked that question a lot from people who've read the article and, and want to understand it. And so what I really meant by that is, you know, the where is is really less important than the what. And so, you know, I kind of, if you, I'm going to give you an, a, an analog for this, and then we can back into the story that I wrote. But, you know, if you think about fitness, you have an end goal in mind for fitness, right? You want to weigh a certain amount. You want your body shape to be a certain, uh, look a certain way. And so, you know, kind of once you've achieved those goals through healthy eating choices and through exercise, you don't stop. You're not done. Um, and by the way, along the way, you learn the exercise regimen that works for you. And it probably introduces other changes in behavior for you as well. Your your sleeping habits probably change. You know, the types of food you consume change, not, not just the caloric intake. And um, maybe the places that you dine or that we all dined before COVID um, sure. change. Uh, and so I think that, you know, very similar to that, you know, organizations look at, hey, we, we know we fundamentally need to change the way that we consume infrastructure. And this word consumption or consume comes up a lot. You know, infrastructure is basically a ubiquitous utility. It's omnipresent and we can get it from anywhere, whether we buy it directly um, from the, the vendors, you buy them from Intervision or you consume them from cloud. But no one solution is necessarily the end all be all destination for it. Yeah. What's really important is you know, what is the value of what I'm trying to de develop and deliver? How do I measure the efficacy of that? And then how do I then uh, have a repeatable uh, process and infrastructure and delivery mechanism for doing that? And as you go through it, just like everything else, you know, uh, you've got law is a practice. Medicine is a practice. They don't call it a, a you know, a medical perfection or a law perfection. You're, you're learning things and we're, we're continually evolving. And I think this, this journey through, consumption of technology for for business value is very much the same way. And we, if we take the time to be willing to learn through that journey, we may even end up in a different location than we thought we would. Um, many of our customers that we work with, you know, oh, we're cloud first. Well, let's talk about what that means. Does that mean 100% public cloud? Are you all in with AWS or Azure or GCP? Or does that mean we want to deliver things that enable consumers to get what they want when they want it. And we have a, a scalable model that enables us to provision workloads whenever we need and however we need. And we do it the same way, regardless of where the destination lies. So I think that's ultimately where I'm trying to get is that if you really take the time to understand and to learn and to be willing to uh, be open to new concepts and ideas as you go through this journey, you may find that you end up in a different location than perhaps you had preconceived. And the value you derive from it is probably going to be higher. 
I couldn't agree more. I think that is a great point that if you do take the time to look at what it is you're trying to achieve. And I love the way you described it as basically delivering the business value. The technology then becomes secondary, if not tertiary, to what you're trying to do, uh, which leads me into another presentation that that you made. I, I listened to you recently, and you made the point, people process tools in that order. So I'd love to dig into that a bit. And for a cloud journey to be successful, why focus on people instead of the technology? Well, yeah, so we do want to focus on the technology. It's a great question, you know, but, but it is definitely tertiary to getting the people and process right first. And, and so what I mean by that is you know, people develop software. There's for sure there, there are things like, you know, AI and ML that are going to be able to have some predictive uh, measures and and perhaps enhance, but even behind AI and ML engines, there are people. And and this journey to the cloud truly is a journey. And if you think about uh, the perspectives that come into play, a matter of fact, even even AWS as part of their well architected framework talks about the six perspectives that go into making sure that you've achieved a well architected framework and that you get there with success and fidelity. And the very first one that you start with is people in their in their perspective model. And the reason is people are going to be the ones that help you toe the line and make the change. And if you can't yeah. convince the people that making this journey is important and good, not only for the organization, but also good for them, you know, you're going to have detractors and it's going to, not only is it going to impede your ability to get it done quickly and well, it could actually derail your opportunity to get there with, with success. I've seen it happen a number of times. Organizations don't fail on getting to the cloud because um, it's not possible to get there. Technology-wise, it's absolutely possible to get there. We're pretty much regardless of the way, unless you're still on a mainframe, um, yeah. you know, you're capable of getting there. But if you don't have people on board, have them invested and interested and excited about what they can learn along the way and how that adds to their career growth and how it adds to uh, their enjoyment of their jobs, they're not going to come along, right? So what, what's in it for me is critical to helping people understand. From there, if you don't have a well-architected set of processes that support your migration or consumption of the cloud, a lot of people will, you know, they'll start out and they're like, you know, get to the cloud, step one, step two, profit. Well, it doesn't work that way. And we talk a lot about the intervision approach of CMLA and why that's so important in starting with what your goals are once you get there and then letting those drive how you're going to measure the success and how you're going to plan out your migration and consumption, um, that process piece cannot be underestimated. Customers who start the opposite way almost always end up with cost overruns. They end up with people problems. They end up with uh, you know security issues, quality issues. And that's what we're trying to help people uh, avoid up front. So if you start with the people and the process, you know, the technology decisions become obvious and, and they, they become a lot easier to consume. I think the other piece of this too that I, I'd really like to, to highlight is that people, if you look at the, you know, the totality, that daunting task of picking up a large monolithic stack and moving to the cloud and, and it's rickety and it's got lots of moving pieces and it's fragile and getting it there you know, has, is fraught with risk. Where if you can work on the people side of that and distill those workloads down into the bite-sized chunks that make it more consumable for them, 
um, by supporting it with a strong process, they're going to be far more likely to come along for the ride. And they're going to do it willingly because now they've got the opportunity to learn new job skills. They have the opportunity to become more marketable. They, they enjoy the work that they're doing because there's a sense of teamwork around it because you've got a well-supporting process underneath it. So that's why I say start with the people and process first. And then the technology decisions become you know, much more obvious and generally take care of themselves. So you used an acronym that I'm not sure everyone on the audience will be familiar with. So I just would love for you to to uh, decipher that a bit. You you talked about Intervisions CMLA. Could you just describe what that is for our audience, uh, and then we'll move on in our in our discussion. Yeah, great great point. You uh, we we get so uh, attached to everyday lingo internally. Sometimes we forget not everybody else has the same. Uh, the same lexicon we do. So CMLA is Intervision's cloud migration lifecycle assurance uh, process that we use and leverage as, as our best practice to help organizations make a well-informed um, and predictable migration to the cloud with all the supports from, from Intervision as your technology and people and process partner to help you get there. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll dive into that for sure. And I know we've talked about it before. I, I do want to go back to that. I think it was the same presentation that I mentioned a minute or so ago. You also issued a warning. The, the warning that was in there was beware of the cultural implications and embrace them. It will pay dividends. So what what are the cultural implications that you're referring to? Yeah. Um, so I have learned, um, you know, I don't, I don't claim to be a guru relative to all things technology leadership. However, I've, I've had the good fortune of sitting in a lot of different chairs and, and working with a lot of really smart people. And um, the, the older I get, the, the less I realize I knew about the world. And so <laughs> one of the things... One of the things that has become uh, kind of permanently obvious to me, but there was a definite aha moment, is that you, know, you can't you can't define a culture up front, um, and by trying to do that, you're going to uh, probably end up with a counterculture, and um, that's not necessarily going to help you get to where you want to get. So instead, recognize what the culture is that you walk into. And recognize what the culture is you you ultimately want to see emerge. And rather than fighting the culture war, instead, look at what are the behaviors that an organization needs to demonstrate in order to change and morph into the type of culture that you want to see uh, present. You know, a great a great example of that is, you know, we hear the term DevOps thrown around a, a lot. And if right. you ask 10 different people what DevOps is, you'll get 10 different answers. <laughs> My supposition on it is that DevOps was always intended to be a culture of success driven by very specific behaviors, right? It, it, it's an adjective, not a noun or a verb. It's sort of like healthy. Oh, you, you're not a healthy engineer. You become healthy as a result of eating well and exercising, right? So the same thing is true from, from a DevOps perspective. I think that you know, the culture is not, well, I go hire a DevOps engineer. Matter of fact, that's kind of counter to what you're trying to accomplish. DevOps is intended on bringing development and operations accountability together into a shared model. And by sticking yet another cog on, on the wheel, you're actually instituting another layer of obfuscation relative to uh, how you reach success in a unified way. And so really it's about 
you know, ultimately, what what culture do I want to emerge? What is the culture today? How do I embrace what the culture is? And how do I introduce the behaviors that start to yield the measurable change that I want that, that get us to the place where I have a culture of, of, of success and where people can recognize that mutually working together? Well, and that leads us into the next part that I wanted to talk about, because while you're on this journey, there's lots of changes that are going on within an organization. And since we started with the people aspect of it, let's talk about some of the changes that the people will have to go through in the way that they approach their jobs. So can you outline some of the changes that the the staff, the IT staff will have to undergo? Yeah, that, that's a that's a really great um, question. Matter of fact, it kind of goes back into you know people over uh, process and, and yeah. technology, right? Um, so I think that there, there's kind of two technical audiences that we talk to at Intervision uh, day in and day out, and you kind of keyed me into one of them. There, it's it's IT staff, and I think that there's there's there, and I'm going to differentiate these two, and it'll make sense once I do. But every organization has IT, information technology. It's that common technology that organizations have regardless of the business that they're in, right? Email, ERP, CRM, uh, you know, they probably got a company website. You've got Wi-Fi in the building. You've got, you know, network security and passwords. And those things are, they're just omnipresent and they're table stakes and you've got to have them. And, and they're critical. And, and by all means, every organization should have somebody looking at their um, information technology. Then there is your engineering organization. And, and, different companies and different industries are going to have varying levels of engineering. And engineering is that technology that differentiates you from everybody else in the market, right? Um, so Netflix has a streaming service. It's different than Hulu. It's different than Amazon Prime. Um, so they've got a different set of code. They've got a different set of development strategies. But both will deliver you a streaming media service. But there are people that like one over the other. And why is that? And so that's kind of how I differentiate the the okay. IT versus the engineering. Now, let's talk about the staff that support both of those models. You know, I look at, you know, I, I was at Portland Public Schools for about six years, and I had a lot of people that worked for me there that had been working at the school district. I, there, matter of fact, I had one guy that only had one W-2 his entire life. He, oh, wow. uh, he got his first job the summer between his sophomore and junior year um, doing some, some work in the IT data center back when they were still using punch card readers. And he retired there from, from Portland Public Schools 48 years later. Wow. And so if you went to a person like that and said, we're changing your job, especially if they were like five years from retirement, you know, mm -hmm. what do you think they'd say? Oh, they'd push back hard. Yeah, they would be yeah. your key resistor or they'd say... I'll opt for early retirement, thanks, right? Yeah. Or something. So you, you've got certain people that are going to be at a point in their career where they're not going to move. But if you've got a guy who, or a, or a gal or a person who's a, an IT professional who has been working in this field for, say, 10 to 15 years, and they've been primarily focused on delivering uh, technology in the data center, and they're focused on rack and stack, and then you say to them, hey, we're moving to the cloud. What, what's the first thing that's going to go through their mind? I'm out of work. Yeah, right. I've got no yeah, data center. Yeah. I've got no place to go every day. My yeah. my job is gone, right? And it's certainly if if all you want to do is rack and stack, that particular job is gone for you. You may want to consider a career with Amazon or or yeah. or yeah. you know, Microsoft or Google at that point, right? But so you know, or a co-location facility and those those are not going away, but if an organization, you know, if you start with that premise of, "Hey, we're moving to the cloud," 
and I'm a rack and stack engineer, what does that mean to me? It doesn't mean that your job has to go away. It means that your job is changed. And, and we'll go back to what I started with this concept of a consumption model. You know, the way that we consume infrastructure is changing. So now we have the opportunity to help that engineer gather more skills, make themselves more marketable, up-level their job. And so that traditional rack and stack engineer now gets to learn how to become a software developer because now we're consuming infrastructure through code. And that's a, that's a, that's a big change for them. So, yeah. But you have to invest in those people and, and make sure that they understand that, hey, there's a path here. And by the way, we, we've got a plan to help you through this. We're going to help teach you these, these different things. And, and I think that where organizations miss on this, and this is where we go to that people first thing, if you don't partner with a strong uh, organization that has a well-thought-out methodology that includes the understanding that the people have to come along for this ride and that re-education and, and um, furthering the careers of people and thinking about the, you know, the hearts and minds that you have to change on that, you're going to be sunk before you begin. And so I think that the forward thinking organizations are looking at this and not only are they selling the value that it provides on the business side, they're also selling the value and career opportunity that it, that it offers their employees. And so if, if I'm you know, running an organization, I've got that rack and stack engineer, that IT professional that's been working in the data center for you know 10 years. I say, good news, we're going to get you some more training. And by the way, this is going to make it far easier for you to break down some of those barriers that we've traditionally had yeah. that trying to instill that you know DevOps culture is, is meant to, to help um, ease inside of an organization. And so now you bring them closer to their peers and their and their their consumers, and you help build out a career path for them. They're going to be far more likely to come along. Yeah, I, I was talking with a CIO last week about their cloud journey, and he absolutely ran into that at the outset. They're about two years along in their journey right now, and one of his senior people was just that. Well, we we can do it. We've been doing just fine ourselves. We've got it all here on premises. You know, why do we need to go do that? So part of the exercise that the CIO had this person go through was he actually told him, go look at the job boards. I want you to go and research job descriptions for engineering roles, uh, infrastructure engineering roles. And I want you to bring me one that doesn't mention cloud. And the guy couldn't do it. And all yeah. of a sudden he's like, the writing's on the wall, he better learn. Or I think uh, we use the, the terminology, he becomes a dinosaur, right? Because all of a sudden his skill set's not needed and it's getting harder and harder for those skill sets to be used anywhere because a lot of people are on this journey. And so I, I just love that point and really just encourage the guy, go look elsewhere. If you think you can find somebody else that's not doing this, you're probably wrong. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that that reminds me some of the hot, the most uh, sought after types of jobs and the 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 titles that those jobs have. Those titles didn't even exist ten years yeah. ago, right? Right. Site reliability right. engineer, platform engineer, even even the you know quote unquote DevOps engineer. These titles have have evolved because organizations are fundamentally changing the way that they approach uh, the consumption and delivery of their products. And, and in fact, um, one more point that I'll bring up on this is focusing in on how you get people to work together and why that DevOps culture is so critical. You have to take a holistic uh, approach 
to the architecture, design, development, and delivery of the entire platform. And so gone are the days where somebody just basically says, well, I provisioned my infrastructure and then I chuck it over the wall. You know, your, your software developer has to become an infrastructure engineer and your infrastructure engineers have to become platform engineers and your security engineers have to think about code. But, you know, there's six critical elements to to a platform. You have infrastructure, application, data, security, policy and pipeline. And all of those are fundamental. And if you pull any one piece of that out, the platform itself doesn't work. And, and so getting people to think holistically about how the work that they do and how it affects the rest of, of that pipeline and that tool chain is critical to organizations being successful in consuming cloud. Well, and, and you mentioned the next topic, which is a great segue. I had a question. Uh, I've started hearing the concept of security shifting left. What does that mean and what's the impact of that on the people that are working within the, the stack? Yeah, so here in in Western civilization, right, we read from left to right. And so, um, you know, kind of traditionally, uh, the way security gets handled uh, and, and, you know, this is, I, I'm being a little bit dramatic for effect here, but, but the traditional yeah. model to security is... We start with our design of what, you know, functional design that leads into a technical design that then we have, you know, infrastructure that supports it. We get this thing built out and then we hand it over to whoever is responsible for compliance and security and they go, well, this isn't secure at all. Right. And so then they, oh, well, we'll throw some firewalls in there. We'll put up some rules. We'll define some ACLs. We'll put some permission settings in. Oh, we'll, we'll throw multi-factor authentication. That, that'll take care of it, right? And so everything that we've just talked about, absolutely necessary to do, but all those things do is keep bad actors out, okay? And so when we think about shifting left, we still want to do all those things. We still want to have our firewall. We still want to think about access control lists. We want to think about identity and access management. We want to think about compliance and how we prove that. But we want to do that not on the right-hand side of developing and delivering things. We want to do that on the left-hand side. We want to bake those requirements into the design of what we're building. So the infrastructure is covered, so that the application is covered, so that the data is covered, and so that you're meeting your policies and can prove that you've, you've embedded security by design into the work that you're doing. The other key piece to shifting left from a security perspective is not just thinking about kind of border perimeter security and how you keep bad actors out. Um, it's also about how do you have a, a zero trust model. And a zero trust model doesn't mean that we don't believe that our people are fundamentally good and well-intended. Um, so we assume and presume good intent, but we we trust, but we verify that. And we're all human. And, and this is why automation is so important is that it, it takes things that become repetitive and mundane that people then become air prone to. It removes that element from it. And so as we look to embed security by design and have a zero trust model, you assume that every person is capable, uh, intentionally or not, of, of introducing security vulnerabilities into the code that they're developing, whether it's through downloading a bad library, injecting or opening up a, a security vulnerability, uh, providing access to data to people that they shouldn't. So having those security policies as part of your automation, your, your continuous integration, continuous delivery, CICD pipeline um, that you automate uh, as far left 
as you can and making sure that those standards are well understood and are encapsulated into the definition of done is how organizations are helping solve those problems so that, you know, we know that one bad actor on the inside can do far more damage than anybody coming in from the outside, but we want to prevent those things both ways. And if we, if we secure our environment from the inside out, it becomes more secure from the outside in. Well, it's like we've been talking for a number of years that security is everybody's responsibility, right? And this this brings it into the entire development life cycle when you're even talking about security at your design stage. So it really drives home that point that security is everybody's problem and everybody's responsibility. Yeah. And, and you know what's interesting too? So this kind of goes back to the one of the first questions you asked me is why do we start with people? And we start with people because um, it's still people who are responsible for these things. It's people who write the write the compliance standards. It's people who will end up measuring those and determining the efficacy. It's people who need to change behaviors to align with what those critical measures are. Uh, and, and, and there has to be a well-defined process there to support it. Right. Um, if you start with technology and assume that, well, I've, I've put a firewall up and, you know, we're all secure, uh, then you're you're just asking for trouble. So it, it goes back to that importance of focusing on people, then process, then tools. Yeah, which is a great way to wrap for today. It's been a great conversation and I, I can't wait to dig into the next in this series. But as you know, we're all about action on Status Go. It's kind of in our name. Uh, yep. So, Dustin, what are one or two things our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to us today? Well, I think that I think there's a couple different things. Uh, you know, I, I'm of the mindset, never stop learning. Right. I, I love hearing what's what's going on and what's shifting. We talk about the focus on the people and how rapidly things are changing. Um, you know, and matter of fact, even when we're in the middle of helping customers, with their migrations, AWS will announce some new service that, gosh, that would have been nice if that had been in there six months ago, but we'll consume it now because it's helping us solve problems. So I would say never stop learning, never stop researching, make sure you understand uh, what what's capable, what's possible. Um, but I think the other thing is really look at your business objectives, what you're trying to accomplish, what success looks like and how you're going to measure it. And then understand whether or not you've got those capabilities in-house to be able to do what you want to do and and find the right people that will help you promote and build the, the actions that support the outcomes that you're looking for. Um, and really, really focus on that. You know, it's great to have a cloud first strategy, but ask yourself, why do I have a cloud first strategy right. and how will I know when I have achieved success at that? And then, like I said, choose the right partner to, to help you get there. Dustin, that is great advice for every one of our listeners who are either on their cloud journey or getting ready to start their cloud journey. I really want to thank you for taking the time to be our guest on Status Go. I know as a field CTO for cloud services, you're incredibly busy these days, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Well, it's been a lot of fun. I look forward to the next one. And yeah, we're, we're all busy. But I, the good news for me, I, with my being busy, I get to learn a lot. And <laughs> I learn so much from our customers. But I also, uh, I learn a lot from our employees. And so it's a lot of fun. This, this work, in addition to being important and critical to helping organizations meet business goals and objectives, I have a lot of fun here. And uh, it's because of the people that are I'm surrounded with. So thank you. This has been a lot of fun. 
Well, and I had fun on our discussion today, and I know we dug into the people aspects of a cloud journey. I have no doubt we could have spent hours talking about this <laughs> dimension uh, because there's so many aspects of it. But next time, I'd love to dive into the second dimension of process. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Awesome. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Dustin Milberg. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.